We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. And if you notice a little pep in my step, it's because the Giants are victorious over the Philadelphia Eagles for the first time since 2016. You heard that right. They literally play this team twice a year, and they have not beat them since 2016. They not only beat them, but they took it to the Eagles to the point where at the end of the game, the Giants won by more than one score. Another thing you haven't seen versus the Eagles or really any team this season for the New York Football Giants. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my podcast co-host. So much excitement, I can't even get the words out of my mouth, Nick Filato. Nick, how are you doing tonight? Are you excited as I am? Because you know what? I actually am excited. It's finally good to feel good about the team. I know they're still 3-7. and seven. I don't care. They won two games. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles, who everyone said were going to cakewalk their way to win this division. And now they not necessarily will be doing that. No, they will not. And the Eagles, everyone was saying, oh, the Eagles are getting really healthy. You know, they're going to get Dallas Goddard back, even though he played in the Dallas Coming game. off the bye week. Coming off the bye week. They have Jason Kelsey. They have Jason Peters. They have Lane Johnson. And they're getting Alshon Jeffrey back. And you're hearing all these things. And I was even like, yeah, I think the Eagles will probably win this game. I thought maybe the Giants would be competitive in the first half. The Eagles will find a way in the second half. But no, no dice, no cigar, Philadelphia. It was the New York Giants that became victorious in this game. Daniel Jones making some clutch throws. I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit later. But, man, it does feel great to have a little winning streak going right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I'll be honest, going into this football game, I felt like it would follow a similar narrative, a similar script where the Giants were competitive in the first Eagles matchup. Should have actually won that game. Obviously, everyone knows the Evan Ingram drop. Went on to revisit that. Ingram's been playing really good ball since that game. Much more motivated and seems to be making much bigger plays out of nowhere. Some really tough catches as well, which we can go over potentially as well. But it really felt like the narrative and the script was all set up for the Eagles to kind of fight hard with the Giants in the first half and then completely run away with this game. They were completely healthy, or the healthiest they've been all season, I should say. They 
coming off of two weeks rest with a bye week, so their expectation was they were going to be more prepared. Miles Sanders was in. He looked spry. He looked good. But the reality was this. This Giants team continues to fight hard. They're literally in every game except for that 49ers game, which again, had a bit a big reason they weren't in that game was because Jones threw the interception at the end of the half on that stupid button hook, unnecessary, trying to force the way back into it. And the Giants turned the ball over on downs in their own territory that game, which people don't remember. So that's kind of why the game got out of hand. It was actually a decently close game for a while. Point is, they were more than just competitive in this game. They really stuck it to the Eagles in the first half of this game. And that's important. And I want to get into that. But not only that, after sticking it to the Eagles in the first half, when the Eagles showed signs of fight and cut that game to 14-11 with the touchdown and the two-point version to open the next half, the Giants had a counter punch with the touchdown drive, six plays, 75 yards. So I first want to start in the first half because there's a lot of reasons I think the Giants won this game. But one of the main reasons they won this game in my mind, besides the fact that, and you got to give them credit for this, they held the Eagles to 0 of 9 on third down, 0 for 9 on third down conversions. This defense, man, it's not perfect. It gives up big drives sometimes, it gives up big plays sometimes, and sometimes it gives up scoring plays that make you scratch your head. Not always, but sometimes. Obviously, the Eagles only had two touches in this game, but they do some things really well. They have some really good third down plays, they have some really well-timed blitzes, and they seem to be making big plays. And ultimately, while someone could point to, and I know someone on my Twitter pointed to this earlier this week, the fact that going into this game, the Giants were 29th in passing yards allowed, none of that matters. They came into this game second in total takeaways on defense. They're good on third downs. They come up with big plays and key moments as referenced by their takeaways. And the style of this defense, as Nick and I have gone over, after switching almost completely to a zone-style defense with cover three, with three high safeties, it's going to give up yards. That's the style of the defense, the whole goal. But as long as they continue to make big plays... And they have, and they continue to, and it may not just be a turnover. Again, they did enter this game second in takeaways. This game wasn't a big takeaway game, but you know what? They counter that with 0 for 9 on third downs. Those are key downs. Those are the money downs in the football game. But in addition to that, I really thought a big reason the Giants won this game is because they did something we've now seen in three straight weeks, and it's more so in the first half for sure, but it definitely carried over a bit at times in the second half, and they own the line of scrimmage, and they dominated the football. They really ate up most of the entire first quarter. You see these back-breaking drives by football teams. And the Giants have had a few of these this season prior to these last couple weeks that ended in field goals. And those ultimately don't really accomplish the goal they seem like they're accomplishing. When you chew up a lot of clock on these long 15-play drives and then settle for three, you kind of give the momentum back to the other team in my mind. You're really not doing too much to the scoreboard. It can be flipped in a heartbeat. But when they do like what they did in the end of that first quarter and they go on a 13-play, 75-yard drive that takes six and a half minutes off the clock and then is capped off by a two-yard touchdown run where Wayne Gallman just barrels in. The line just barrels through the end zone, and Gallman clears a path for him to leap over and just make an outstanding play there for the touchdown. And that was really, that put them up 14-3. Their first scoring drive, obviously also impressive. The Daniel Jones 34-yard run was a great design. And let me say this, Nick. After talking to some people after the game that are not Giants fans, but football guys that I work with, they believe that they shouldn't have called the hold on Jones's second touchdown. I know we, when we saw it, we were said, ah, I guess you can call a hold there. But based on they said based on what they were calling the rest of the game um, for both sides, that one shouldn't have been flagged. Look, I'm a Giants fan, so I'm somewhat biased. It seems like they're like Hawks, man, when it, when it comes to the Giants. They see every little damn freaking thing. <laughs> and... Yes, you can call that, but like you said, man, there's a lot of ticky-tacky calls that could be flagged or they may not be flagged, and they called it on that, whatever. Uh, I, hopefully, we get like a call, you know, a call go our way like that in the in the future or something like that. But I, I could see where they were coming from because it did seem like the defenders' momentum was kind of working outside on Andrew Thomas. And uh, I do love though, and I'm sure you love this that on that 13 to cap that 13 play drive, fourth and one, didn't go for the field goal there. You run it in with Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman soars over the top of the line of scrimmage like he's freaking Superman. I like the fact that they went for it on uh, fourth and one on, on that specific occasion there to kind of cap off that drive to go up 14-3. Yeah, I don't think in that spot you can even consider yeah. kicking a field goal. It would be one of the – I think it's just a coach decision you can never make. But I'm not going to get in too much excitement yet about these fourth down decisions because they had another one in plus territory at the Washington 46 fourth and one where they did another one of their punts. Really disappointing decision. And then after that, had a really bad time management moment after getting the ball back by really amazing defense to force a quick three and out. They had two timeouts left. 
perfect time after you get a six-yard completion. Call a timeout, have to call it if it's in the middle of the field. Instead, they didn't in 20 seconds shoot off the clock, and they wasted that possession and couldn't get any points out of it. But that's okay. We're not going to talk about the bad. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. And ultimately, I still believe the good outweighs the bad when it comes to Joe Judge, even though I do consider that his conservatism in those spots not to be a good thing, but ultimately not something I want to focus on tonight. What I do want to focus on, though, in addition to that play, that rushing touchdown that was called back and ultimately didn't make a huge difference in this game, but I do believe was was an unfortunate call. For the first time, Nick, I am on your side when it comes to the officiating. All season, we've been talking about it. You feel like the officiating has been biased against the Giants. I am a, a massive believer in it's basically all even over time, and you may see some bad ones here for our team, some bad ones there for our team. And, you, you know, you bring it up, and it's not a bad point about this season. It does feel like we haven't seen too many egregious calls go the Giants' way, but I do believe in the old poker saying that you really only remember your bad beats, and you never really remember when you bad beat someone. So I think it's highly possible we're just not remembering good calls that went the Giants' way that were unfortunate. I feel like there might have been one in the Cowboys game, if I'm remembering. I can't remember fully, but, you know, it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to remember when you bad beat someone, but it's easier to remember when you get screwed. But I do believe this game was poorly officiated. I don't think that was the only uh, poor call that went the Giants' way. I think there were some other calls. The Darnay Holmes pass was was a terrible terrible call um and a big moment in that game like you mentioned at the time yeah. i don't think they're biased against us i just think they have hawkeyes when, when the giants i don't think they're like <laughs> well, oh, we're gonna job don't... the giants but they just have really good vision when, when i don't they're... know if i subscribe to that i shouldn't <laughs> i shouldn't go too far here i don't want to say i believe the refs have hawkeyes when it comes to new york giants but i will say that i believe that this game was a little more officiated a little uh not evenly as opposed to some other games that the giants have played this season i think the giants were dealt a pretty unfair hand from that standpoint but it didn't ultimately matter because again they did that and then again i want to get into this key drive of the game because this is the key drive to the game for me is the one after the eagles start to grab that momentum back with that touchdown drive to go make it 14 11 and again it's possible he stepped out of bounds there when i look at that on replay it's so close but it's crazy how that's basically one of the few big plays we can even remember the giants defense giving up this entire season this defense literally rarely gives up big plays yeah. It's a testament to the way they play. It's also, again, a product of playing so much cover three and so much three, so much safety, playing your safeties and a lot of zone because you can rally to the ball. You can keep your eyes on the quarterback and keep your eyes in front of you, and you can make plays. But it also is a testament to the way they play. They rally hard to the ball. They fight. They're, they're really, for the most part, with the exception of that McLaurin play, they're really good tackling defense, I think, in my mind, at least from what I've seen. Which is crazy, too, because through the years, we've seen so yes. many poor tackling defenses for the New York Giants I mean just even recent memory you can go back and just like what the heck make a damn tackle there has not been that many plays where we've said that in the season yeah you're right and in the past they've had major issues tackling at the third level specifically with Darian Thompson really poor tackler at the third level it comes to mind really Antoine Bethea was okay around the line of scrimmage I think he was an excellent tackler at the third level and all the safeties they've really interchanged there but it also goes to that second level where they really have had trouble too but mostly I think it was at the third level with the safeties and that's not a problem this year with those two safeties back there Jerome Peppers is a short tackler Logan Ryan's good in that third level in that role and Julian Love's pretty solid in that regard as well I don't think he's really what I ex- hoped he would be in your, at this point in his career I thought he'd be a little bit better in coverage a little bit more of a playmaker but he's a solid player in this system and somebody who is fine to have out there for the most part but I do want to get into what I would consider the drive of the game for multitude of reasons one because the Eagles had just scored that touchdown on that long run to make it 14-11 and it seemed like that was the time where okay things could go really downhill for this Giants team potentially but also too because it was a big time drive for Daniel Jones for a multitude of reasons. Now, we'll get into Jones in a minute, who, by the numbers, had an unbelievable game, his best game of the season, 21 of 27, barely missed any throws, 244 yards, so it wasn't even like a 4.3 or a 5-yard per attempt game like he's had a lot this season where he's just throwing a lot of the quick stuff. It was a game where Jones had some chances, not too many, but had some chances, and when he did have them, he really took advantage of them and did an excellent job. And I think this was his drive. This was one of his best drives of the entire season. It starts with the ball to Shepard on the second and 10. Giants are in no huddle. They're using some tempo, which I like. After a first and 10 run that went for nothing. And again, I will say this. While I want to give Garrett credit, and I do give Garrett credit, he had a really diverse, interesting game plan, especially on these scoring drives. Some of which I do believe I want to give more credit to Jones on, and we'll get to that in a second, especially the tape play, which I'll get to in a second. 
I think there's still some tendencies that really I really struggle with with Garrett and his first and 10 runs are one of them. But I do give them credit on this second and 10. You could easily try to go for the sticks here or try to get the five yards to set up for the third and short, which I think is a really bad move overall for an offense, at least something to consistently get into. And instead, they set up this play where they take the deep shot, the back shoulder fade to Sterling Shepard, and Jones puts that ball in a really good spot for Shepard. Now, to be fair, Shepard's release off the line of scrimmage on this play is absolutely filthy he makes this play by getting that separation off the line of scrimmage but it's still an excellent ball by Jones and it's still a shot on second and 10 results in a 27 yard play and the whole momentum of that drive shifts after that yeah and then the very next play they were like oh we're gonna do a similar type of coverage right now I'm gonna hit Golden Tate for a 38 yard pass and when you run man coverage against Daniel Jones we've seen this in the past he likes to throw the football on you he likes to put it high he likes to put it either inside and outside depending on the cornerback's leverage and trusts his receiver to kind of come down with the football and it's worked out and it kind of just makes me think too as much as I love these New York Giants receivers imagine if Jones did have somebody like a DK Metcalf or somebody who is kind of an elite type Alan receiver Robinson maybe. and Alan Robinson free agent and to be Gall- free agent to be Ken- Alan Robinson Kenny Galladay too who can't possibly yeah. like his situation in Chicago <laughs> absolutely not Daniel Jones will be the best quarterback he's played with since freaking high school I don't know who he played with in high school, but I'm sure he's better than Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, and Mitch Trubisky. Well, I would hope Daniel Jones is better than whoever Allen Robinson played with in high school, too, by the way. <laughs> yes, I would hope so. Anyways, yeah, so on this drive, though, you got to think, too. How many times have we seen this script, ladies and gentlemen? You know, the Eagles come out of the half, drive down the field, get that touchdown. Now it's a three-point game. Then what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to go three and out and give the football right back to Philadelphia? Only up by three here? No. They punched the Eagles defense in the mouth, shocked them. I was pretty surprised, to be honest, too. I was sitting on my couch like, oh, wow, two huge pass plays. And then I calmed my nerves a little bit because I'm like, oh, geez. Okay, the Giants offense, they have this handled right now. They're not going to go three and out, give the ball back to Carson Wentz and have him drive down the field on them, although that did end up happening. But Giants, by that point, were up 21-11. to And then after that next eight-play drive where Philadelphia scored, that's where they kind of limited the lead 21-17. Yeah, and back to that drive for a second, I thought what was really interesting, and I'm really curious to see this one on All-22, it looked to me like Jones did a really good job of working through his progressions on the throw to Tate, where he looked off his first read that wasn't there, knew he had that backside one-on-one with Tate, and made the throw, and he really wasn't throwing from the cleanest of bases there, the pocket was starting to collapse on him, instead of doing what we've seen at times, which is him kind of scramble up into the right, and roll out of the play and kind of get to a point where, okay, now Golden Tate won't be open, the play will be dead. He stood in the pocket, which we saw him do a lot more, I thought, in his rookie season, and he delivered that ball to that read, and he put that ball in a spot for Tate to make a play, and it was excellent. And then another thing I liked about that drive, they get into first and 10, and on that first play, Wayne Gallman, and I think at the end of this season, it's going to be a really, it's going to be a massive shame when people on Twitter or in columns or whatever it may be point to Wayne Gallman's yard per carry average to say what kind of running back he is because he's had so many short yardage situation carries he's had so many ice the clock situation carries he's had so many goal line carries that like the yards per carry aren't going to be there but this first and goal run from the 10 this defines this drive there is a good chance if this play goes for what it really should have gone for as blocked I mean, it's not horrendous blocking, but it should go for two or three yards, and then they're potentially in a position where they have to throw then from second and goal, and we've seen them bog down plenty of times in the red zone. And if that goes to 17-11, who knows where this game goes after the Eagles score their next touchdown. But he makes an incredibly awesome jump cut after first jumping to get outside, but then to cut back inside and then spins off, almost breaks a second tackle, gets eight yards down to the two and allows the Giants to then barrel in for two more carries with Gallman to run through and get that touchdown. And I really think that was an excellent job by Gallman there, individually speaking, to make that jump cut, to make that spin at the end, and to turn that play into a carry that gives you the chance to then run the ball the next two downs instead of having to throw the ball from that short yardage red zone situation where the Giants have struggled with so many times this season. Wayne Gallman, because Dan referenced it, he had 18 carries for 53 yards, which is a 2.9 average, but anybody who watched this game knows he was much better than a 2.9 average. Some of these plays, he's running through arm tackles, he's just always falling forward I know the announcers were kind of giving him a lot of props for that but it's something that we see all the time he gets skinny through the hole and he gets extra yardage when it's not necessarily there and that play that you just referenced was excellent he had two really nice jump cuts one outside one inside and just I think McLeod got his ankles and he ended up falling at the two yard line 
And Wayne Gallman, though, man, filling in for Saquon Barkley, he's been admirable. I mean, he's definitely earned this role. Now that Devonta Freeman's on IR, I guess that's somewhat irrelevant. But even if Freeman was back, I would say that he definitely earned this role, and he's definitely playing to the level of what I expected him to play for when Jerry Reese drafted him out of Clemson in the fourth round. Yeah, it's so funny. When Barkley first got injured, there was a lot of talk of Gallman would have no role. He might be an inactive. He might be cut or something. I, I saw some people saying, and I kept saying on Twitter, and I know you're on board with me, that Gallman has the talent. We've seen this on the film, and he just needs an opportunity. And unfortunately for Freeman, he's getting it in part due to the injury. But I think at this point, and I don't think Freeman was too bad anyway. When he was in, I thought he was making some nice reads and cuts. But at this point, once that returns, I think at worst, he has to he has to continue to stay in this role, Gallman. I think this offense is a better offense with Gallman in the game. Personally, he, the way he fights for yards, he's also solid in the receiving game, although not often used that way in this offense. Um, so to me now, Gallman has certainly proved that he belongs to be the, he, be, he belongs as the 1A moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. And honestly, Alf right now is looking pretty solid with his eight carries a game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> obviously my apology tour came for Alfred Morris was last week. I still don't believe there's any long-term purpose to this. Absolutely not, yeah. But whatever, they're fighting for the division now after this win. And agreed, Alf made a really nice cut to get that one 10-yard gain. I give him props for that. I was patient. <laughs> he jumped back into the – he kind of like let the whole – form for him it was an excellent hole obviously but it was patience and it was well done and Al, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this Nick but I never thought I would be saying this three weeks ago but somehow I'm at the point where I'm fine with Alfred Morris getting like this amount of touches per game definitely no more but like this is okay for me I'm I'm okay with it yeah so I would I would have to agree with that but I, I also love how and this is something we preached that they really use the zone read against Jim Schwartz's yes. defense. Now, that's something that the Giants were just killing the Eagles on early on in the drive because that end man on the line of scrimmage just kept biting down as that back pursuit defender. And every time they did that, Daniel Jones would just tuck the ball five yards here, six yards here. They were doing it in the red zone. There were two times where Jones kept it in the red zone. He got popped, and I was like, oh, geez, I hope this guy doesn't end up getting hurt. But you have to keep – when you use zone read, it forces the defenders to basically – play like a man or two down if you give it if you give the ball to the running back a backside defender cannot use his pursuit to track him down because he has to respect the legs of the quarterback and that's exactly what happened but this defense is very aggressive they bit down Daniel Jones made him pay and obviously we saw what happened the first time these two teams met up when when uh good old Daniel Jones had his gaff, but it was an 80 yard run <laughs> you know so it was a huge run by him but he just didn't punch into the end zone 100% right. And that's, let's be honest, that's credit to this coaching staff, which obviously earlier in the season, I was extremely harsh on. You were less so harsh on with the offensive coaching staff. Still don't love some of Garrett's tendencies. But it's okay. But I do think he's doing a better job with these game to game plans and also with some of his creative play calling. And you're right. Against this style of defense, it's really important to utilize his own reads. Now through two games this season, Nick, Jones has 13 carries for 156 yards. There's clearly something there. It's game plan for. The Giants wanted to do this, and it's extremely effective. 13 carries for 156 yards is big-time yardage. Those are big-time plays that change the game. And let's be honest here, Daniel Jones, obviously the numbers don't jump off the page as, as far as the touchdowns go, so he didn't throw a touchdown. A lot of the con the play, you know the drives were converted with short runs, and he also had a rushing touchdown, should have had two rushing touchdowns, honestly. And then his numbers would have even been even better in the running game. But combined this game, in addition to only throwing, what, five in or six incomplete passes for Jones? Six, no, I'm sorry, seven incomplete passes, but combined, he totaled over 300 yards. Yes, it was 64 on the ground, but those count all the same. Those are yardage that he's creating and that the Giants are creating with good scheme. So really, it's hard to find too many flaws in Jones's game. I mean, yes, it's, I'm not going to call this a flaw because I do want to talk about a player here, Darius Slayton, who I thought had an unbelievable game. And I think I'm going to put this clip up on Twitter just to have to show a better idea of how amazing of a play it was but the game ceiling 40 yard reception that he made and it was a game ceiling play it led to the Giants field goal where they went up 10 and the game was pretty much out of hand uh save for a like kind of a disaster type finish that play by Slayton this is you know maybe the one play of the game I didn't love from Jones just because if he puts that ball out in front of him and towards the middle of the field it's a touchdown based on the separation Slayton has but regardless he at least put in a spot where the receiver can make a play and to make the adjustment that Slayton made to make that catch that's something that you rate that I think is extremely rare in wide receivers across the entire NFL number one number two number three receivers doesn't matter anywhere on the depth shot that type of 
uh, adjustment in the air to make that catch and to come down with that football and not drop it and not fall out of bounds. That's a rare trait. That's a really rare trait and a really plus trait. And it's addition to a lot of the great traits Slayton has. I mean, he, just to create the kind of separation he created on this route against Slade Jr., who was lined up against him all game. And despite that, Slayton came nearly close. What did he have? Five for 93, almost had a 100-yard game. Would have had a 100-yard game if Jones throws a better ball here, to be honest. I mean, it's a touchdown if Jones throws this to the inside. There's no safety help and Slayton has the steps. Um, it's, it's a clear-cut touchdown, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. He still made the reception, but I do want to give credit to Darius Slayton, man, because I think people always talk about, oh, he's not a wide receiver one. He's more of a two. I, I could, I, maybe he's not the Allen Robinson type one, but I think he's certainly at, at worst a 1B, man. I'm fine with him being a 1B, too. I mean, he Not comes up with he comes up with plays like this, and I think yeah. you know all that stuff. It's just whatever you know. What is he? One A, one B. It's conjecture. It doesn't really matter. But on that route too, if you look. I'm not sure if this was a Jason Garrett design or if it was just him doing it on the fly to kind of gain leverage on top of Darius Slay. About the time, this is a second and 10, he's at the sticks at the yellow line. He sinks his hips like he's breaking it either inside or back to the quarterback, and that just makes Slay hesitate just slightly and that just allows him to kind of stack on top of slay it's so savvy it's so smooth and that was a big reason why he was able to separate now that could have just been slayton being like look i don't really have the leverage on this let me just run this or it could have been jason garrett being like look we've been running a lot of kind of quick (laughs) game and let's kind of gas that but whatever it was it ended up working out but you are right man Daniel Jones, that throw was, wasn't really the best. That was his worst throw of the game, I thought. But <laughs> yeah, it's still but not that bad of a throw because no, it's still completed. It's, it's, still, it's still completed and Slayton just excellent tracking ability. But Jones had a couple other really good throws too. Like yeah. The Deion Lewis throw was yep. really, really nice. The the first catch by Darius Slayton, which was, I think, his first completion of the game. Great ball. Over a linebacker and a safety and in between another safety. It was just one of those yep. passes where you're like, wow, that's a that that's a very difficult pass. And that takes some stones to throw that football because there's a lot of traffic underneath. Yep. And you have to put just the right amount of touch over the top of those defenders. And Slayton did a good job. And then he, we thought he was hurt. And I was like, <sighs> oh, geez, you got to be freaking kidding me. But then Austin Mack comes in the game. Austin Mack makes that really good uh, catch on a bad throw by Jones, too. Another pretty poorly placed pass behind Austin Mack. And those Mack. are probably – and let's not like, – I don't want uh, – no, I no, don't no. want this to yeah. sound like we're bashing Jones. Jones maybe had two or three bad throws this whole game. We're just – we just mentioned them, and that's basically it. But it was more so to mention, I think, from my and Nick's perspective, because we talked about this playoff pod – we love that adjustment by Mac to make that catch. Go watch, rewatch that play, that catch by Mac. That's the natural talent that you see with Mac. And I know he's not going to get too many opportunities now unless there's some injuries because Tate's back in the mix. And that's fine because Tate will go ahead and make a play like he made to make that adjustment. But that catch by Mac, that ball's behind him. He's running into a defender. He has the concentration to catch that ball behind him while knowing he's going to take a massive hit from that defender and then still hang on to the football for the first down. Yeah, now now that I pull the play up, and now we're going to be sticking up for Jones. And like, yeah. like Dan said, we're not trying there to There was a linebacker, Jones. right? There was a yeah. linebacker that was kind of scraping over the top, looking mm-hmm. like he could get his hand. So maybe Jones put it there on purpose behind Mac. But either way, the point of us bringing that up was to applaud Mac for his sure. excellent adjustment and strong hands, which he showed on that play. He's just becoming a, a nice little piece for this offense, even though that was his only catch on the game. It was a really good game from the wide receivers and, and even Evan Ingram, who made some really good plays at really good concentration catch even though it didn't result in a catch just based on the fact that it was out of bounds and ultimately it was a really good game not only for the receivers but for Daniel Jones too let's not bury the lead here Daniel Jones for the second game in a row folks folks I just said folks I don't even is that how you pronounce folks, folks it might be I mean F-O-L-K-S you you, you, you definitely pronounce weird. it with a U it came out weird it yeah, came out like kind of like when you try to pronounce the Jaguars Jaguars well, you actually did a good job there. Was that was that you. good? Because I swear I wasn't even trying to adjust. There. You didn't wire it for the first time in your life. You didn't jagwire it about for the, the first time in your life. You just drink lime wire all the but time. But you're not about kid. the wire because you've never seen the show The Wire. Yeah. I'm talking so about you're not lime really wire, yeah. about the wire. The real wire for the real people who know about the wire. <laughs> it's the show The Wire. But I anyway, want to watch that. Back to the New York Football Giants. Let's not bury the lead here. The lead is for the second straight game in a row. Daniel Jones did not turn the football over. That might be. Is that the first time in his career he didn't turn the ball over for two straight games? I'm trying to, th- I I would imagine, right? I think it's the first time in his career he went two straight games without a turnover. That's that's important. It really is. It's very important because they've lost games this year because of the turnovers. I'm trying to think of games where he didn't turn the football over. Washington, uh, the second. It's been both the yeah. Washington games 
the second matchup with Washington last year. He turned the ball over against Washington in the first one twice. Yeah. He threw two picks. Could have threw more in that game, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, that was they played him really well that game. Yeah, but now we have this Eagles game. And one game, another play we want to point out with, yeah. with Jones is the first and 10 with 5.03 left, and I believe it's the first quarter. Yeah, this is on that long drive we referenced. Now, Dan brought up how he went through the progressions well with the Golden Tate. This play, he goes through a full field read on this play. He's pointing out his protections before. He's in the shotgun, goes into the mesh point on a quick play action. Just scanning the entire field, looks at Evan Ingram, he's covered, looks at Darius Slayton, he's covered, and then from the far hash, yeah, he throws a zip to Jalen Shepard. Yeah, and Shepard ends up just securing this pass and moving the sticks for that's another first down. Throw. That's one of, That might be throw. the best throw he made in the whole... Like, it's tough to say what his best throw is. The Shepard ball was great, the tape ball was great, the loose ball was great, but when you look at this, when we'll put this up maybe as well on All-22... The, the way that this, from where he launches this ball from that hash, like, he's on the he's on the far hash and throws all the way across the field to the sticks, past the sticks, with zip on a line. And again, he has time here, too. Protection he's held excited. up well here. <laughs> Protection really held up. Andrew Thomas just dominated his guy, and everybody else did really well. There were a couple plays, too. And not to transition to offensive line yet, because I don't know if you want to make a wide receiver point, but I'm just going to say this. Andrew Thomas, there were a couple times where he was battling with Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham, and he looked really, really good. I'm really excited yeah. to see that on film. I'm excited to see that too, but I mean, I'm looking at this play, man. These are, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this is the type of plays where when I see them, when I'm re-watching them, this is when I start to get a little excite, more excited about Jones's arm talent and seeing things I didn't see at Duke. Like From an arm talent standpoint, that throw to Shepard right there might have been the most impressive arm talent throw he made in the entire game. And like, one of his top five throws from an arm talent standpoint all season. It is not easy to throw that ball on a line. And I want to show, I mean, we could go over, we've gone over it before, but that first play that that that, um, that Nick was talking about where he throws through traffic to Slayton over the top of the defenders and in between the safety, that's also a ball that really shows off his arm talent. I mean, Jones has impressed me from an arm talent standpoint at, at various moments. Obviously, at times the ball placement has been a little bit off. We talked about it on that Slayton ball that should have been a touchdown, obviously. But some of these throws, man, the the zip is there, and it, these balls are coming on a line. The velocity is there, and you got to think about the context of that play, too. It's the Giants' first offensive drive. The game just started. The first play of the game, Daniel Jones gets sacked by Derek Barnett. It's a second and yep. 15, goes into the play action, hits his back foot, and just fires a dart over two defenders to hit Darius Slayton to pick up a first down, pick up 22 yards as well. I mean, that... That is a really, really good play by Daniel Jones. He, he had a couple of them in this Jones game. Jones had a really good game. I'm excited to see this game on All-22. I think I'm going to yeah. be very excited with what I come away with after watching Jones, and I think you will too. But let's talk a little line before we transition to a bit of the defense. But actually, before we dump, jump into some talk about the Giants' offensive line, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Again, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, baby. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. All right, we're going to dive into some offensive line play, but before I do that, I do want to give a shout-out to our boy. He's become a little bit of a whipping boy on this podcast in recent weeks. That's Kwame Zilla. For those who don't remember, I'm sure some of you do, he is the guy who infamously gave us a one-star review, but then subsequently said that he loved the podcast. Kwame, I do appreciate you returning to the iTunes reviews to leave us a note. Up the, he upped our review. He redid the review, and now we are four-star. I don't know what we have to do to get that elusive five-star rating, but thank you, Kwame Zilla. There will be less trash talk from us. You said, sorry, guys, for the one-star. I really do love the pod. I always listen and even download. So thank you, Kwame Zilla. I mean, but, he says, I may be asking for too much, but can we get Nick to read the ads <laughs> in his normal voice? It's so annoying, I literally have to skip the ads because of it. Thanks. You're missing, so, you're missing a lot of good Indeed and Bet Online subject matter there, Kwame Zilla. Yeah, I, I got to stick up. Listen, Kwame, I'm I'm torn here because I'm happy that you revisited this. I'm happy that you have upped our rating from one star to four stars. We're really looking for only fives, but we'll take a four. A four is progress. But listen, Kwame, Nick's got to sell those ads, my man. And I think his ad voice is pretty good. I listen to it and I'm like, I might buy this. I might sign up for Indeed even though I have a job. I may do this and that. So you know what? I'm sorry, Kwame. But I'm still not fully on board with you, bud. But let's talk a little offensive line football. Just wanted to give a little shout-out to Kwame Zilla, who had been a whipping boy, and we do appreciate the upstar review. Uh, but anyway, Giants offensive line, man, it seems like another week. And I know, in the first half, it definitely looked a little bit better, at least in the ground game. Um, but overall, from a pass protection standpoint, there really weren't too many gaffes. There were certainly some plays where Jones had a lot of time back there in the passing game. And it really feels like this offensive line is starting to come together. And it's super interesting because this game, they didn't put Hernandez back in, even though he was active off the COVID list. Lemieux got the start and played every snap on left guard. They really didn't play Matt Pert that much, or Pert that much. This was mostly a Cam Fleming game. When we look at the snap counts, we're going to probably be a bit surprised to see Parrott's snaps go down. Andrew Thomas, I think he got every snap at left tackle and earned every snap at left tackle in a really tough matchup that he struggled with mightily, by the way, in his first matchup against the Eagles. And then obviously Nick Gates and Zeitler. And by the way, Zeitler, who had to leave the game with a concussion, you guys are going to see all you hater, Zeitler haters who don't realize the worth of him. And I know that's not many people who listen to us because I'm sure most of you agree with us on that from that standpoint. But there are a lot of haters on Twitter who believe he should be a cap casualty and whatnot. You'll see if he ever has to miss time what kind of impact he makes on this football team. Um, but yeah, ultimately, great game again from the O-line, it looks like. It definitely does. And even just, just from watching the broadcast angle, Andrew Thomas protected his inside it seemed like pretty well because there was at least four four plays that i remember where the pass rusher started upfield and then just went right inside and andrew thomas just quickly collapsed him right down onto the guard and onto the center allowing jones to kind of flow and step back a little bit and settle his feet and throw the ball so that's really good that he really worked on those types of plays because how many times are we going to complain about andrew thomas getting beat inside Let's hope he has that all figured out now. Yeah, and uh, to answer your question, how many times are we going to complain about Andrew Thomas getting beat in the inside? Not many lately, to be honest. Over the last three games, hasn't been much. He's really done an excellent job in that regard, fixing that aspect of his game. I really think one thing I will say about Thomas, and I know I was early harsh on his play, and I still believe that, obviously, I would have rather traded down when there's four tackles like that. Obviously, if you still ask me, I still would have rather, I still will rather have Worfs if I could trade them straight up. I would trade Thomas for worse right now. I'd probably trade him for Beckton too. I'm not sure about Wills. But ultimately, it's a really good sign when a young player like this, Nick, especially at a position this hard to transition to. Because remember, they're not really doing the same kind of, they don't have these one-on-one, too many of these one-on-one island jump set, pass protection reps in their college careers. It's a very different game there. There's a lot more spread. It's played in, it's played between different, uh, it's played at different parts of the hashes. It's the field is a little bit wide. There's there's a lot of differences in the college and NFL game. So for somebody to transition at this age 
and to take to coaching this early and show improvement via the coaching, that's a really, really good sign for Andrew Thomas. And again, been harsh on him, but I'm loving what I'm seeing these last three games. Last three games, and a lot of people will point to Shane Lemieux. And I think it's hard to downplay what Shane Lemieux has done. I mean, considering he's a fifth round pick, but I will say the last two all 22s looking at his pass protection I think it's it's hard to say that he's a better pass protector than Will Hernandez really hard to say that (laughs) Will Hernandez is definitely I know it's a popular opinion like oh well Shane Lemieux is in there now and that's why the offensive line is is working really well and I do understand that to an extent but I I think it's a confluence of things I think it's Andrew Thomas playing better I think it's an ascension of Matt Parrott at least from the previous two games we have to wait to see on the all 22 this I think it's Nick Gates coming into his own and I think Lemieux in a phone booth and even maybe just head on with Will Hernandez may be better in the run game but you are sacrificing something in the pass game I kind of like the whole rotate them and save Kevin Zeitler's back in if they want to rotate them like they've been doing with Parrot. don't set a trend and have Lemieux only out there when you're running the football don't do things like that but I'm not really against the rotation of offensive linemen no one as really as long as it's not Zeitler I don't think Zeitler should be rotated I agree with all. that yes I think it's the young players and players who are struggling Will Hernandez you sure. can kind of point to like that I think Will Hernandez didn't start this game mainly because he's kind of getting back into game shape because sure. of COVID-19 but he for a fifth round pick man this is he's been he's been playing really really well yeah this is all you could ask for for a fifth round pick somebody who could literally come into the season during his rookie season and play start games now three of them or two what is it two games three 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 games and not be a major liability he's had some bad pass pass blocking reps obviously but nothing too egregious over and over and over again and he's been pretty good in the run game the Giants have certainly been pretty good in the run game with him in the game, and he's had some really good blocks. He had a really nice pull block last game where he took out a guy. So, I mean, it's a, definitely a positive sign. As far as versus Hernandez and, like, why is Andrew Thomas playing better, I don't think it has anything to do with that. And why is the offensive line playing better, I also kind of don't think it has to do with that as well. I kind of think it's a confluence of things, like you said. I think it's Nick Gates is playing even better football than he had earlier in the season. He's playing really well, Andrew dude. Thomas, we just discussed, is playing really good football, better than he had earlier in the season. Kevin Zeitler's been super consistent in my mind. I know it doesn't bear out with the pro football focus grades, which I really don't understand their grades that's one of the weirdest their grades for Zeitler this season are very odd to me I I'm losing a lot of faith in PFF just based on how they're grading Kevin Zeitler because I just maybe I don't know what I'm looking for or maybe I don't think they do or I think there are some biases in these game charters I know as somebody who worked at Pro Football Focus I, I I've said in the past I don't like to burn bridges in this industry because it's really hard to get a job in this industry so I won't go any further on that but you can kind of get where I'm going with this as far as how they treat their employees and how much those employees even make to do this game charting. And there's some biases, I believe, in the game charting. But anyway, the point is this offensive line is playing much better football. Lemieux is a part of that because he has been starting the last three games. And it does point me a little bit to just my disappointment overall with Hernandez. It's really, this is like, I've talked about this with a lot of Giants fans. Uncle Steve, shout out to you. We always talk about this. It's like, the thing with Hernandez is we're most disappointed in him, even though he's not the biggest bust of all these, of all the Gettleman picks, because we all had such high expectations for Hernandez. We thought he would be that phone book dominant run blocker we thought he would be an awesome pulling run blocker we thought he would be a mauling run blocker that maybe had some struggles in the past game but was overall one of the best run blocking guards in the nfl certainly by now i thought it would happen right away really for hernandez i was way wrong on this evaluation so was gettleman so was everyone everyone thought that was a steal for the giants when they got him at 34 they were like this dude is a lock first rounder he's a easy first round talent this is one of the easiest projections we've been able to make and it just ultimately didn't happen. It just goes to show you. He's such a great example in my mind, Hernandez, of how hard this evaluation process is, how imperfect the draft process is, and all the stuff we've talked about in the past as to why we believe the best GMs are the ones who utilize their capital in unique ways and ultimately don't uh, settle in with regardless of what draft position they have and just draft the guys they fall in love with through the pre-draft process, through the interviews and all that. It's because of players, it's because of evaluations in my mind like Hernandez because this should have never been, in my mind, There, it, it should have been a no-fail evaluation. And it's not to say he's like an awful player. Again, this is what we talk about, me and Uncle Steve, we've talked about this in the past. He's not bad. He's an average, decent starter. But like he just should, it just seemed like he was going to be a lock-in, all-pro style guard. And he's just not that. 
Yeah, I guess the jump in competition from UTEP to the yeah. NFL has proven to be a, a little bit for good old Mr. Hernandez. And I, uh, yeah. and I, I think, you know, like you said, I think he's an average average starter. I think if he doesn't go to the Giants, he's going to go and start somewhere else in the NFL. He's going to probably have a nice career in the NFL, but he's just not that. He's not the guy that I hoped for. And it's interesting. I will say this about that. We've talked a lot in the past about how the Giants are clear-cut one of these teams that really puts a lot of stock in the Senior Bowl because they believe that's like an excellent showcase for how these guys match up against top talent. And it is top senior talent to an extent, but it's a very short week there. And there's a week of practice and there's the game. And the Giants have done this now with Hernandez. They've done this with Jones and they've done this with Ballantyne, guys who they thought played up to their competition at the Senior Bowl. It might be something to to kind of look back at, reevaluate your process on, I think, if they're going to move forward with Gettleman and maybe put a little bit less weight into that week at the Senior Bowl. That one, It's only one week. Again, you're not playing some of the best junior talent that, does, that declares for the draft and just ultimately isn't there. Um, and again, it's really an all-star game for the most part. These guys don't want to get hurt before the draft. So I, I don't know, but I know they fell in love with Hernandez there, and he looked really good there, Hernandez. He looked like that was like the final piece of the puzzle. Like, oh, he can compete against the senior bowl type talent? Oh, he's a lock then. And then Jones. Oh, Jones looks like he can man the huddle. He's, he's a pro quarterback. And I'm not knocking on Jones. I'm still, the jury's out. But again, another guy they fell in love with there at the senior bowl. They've mentioned this. They've confirmed it. Corey Ballantyne, another player they fell in love with at the senior bowl. So ultimately, I think it's something to at least look back on in their process. Yeah, it's... The Senior Bowl is a unique event because you have the practices, you have the Senior Bowl itself, which I feel like less amount of stock is put in the, the game itself rather than the practice and the interviews because the way it's set up, it's basically in a convention center. Players just kind of walk around and they have formal interviews and they have informal interviews and they have to do basically their entire schedule is just jam-packed with a crap load of stuff they have to do. They have to attend a bunch of meetings and all this kind of stuff, but the scouts and the front office people can associate and talk to these kids in a basically an informal manner and really get to know them a lot better. And then you have also the interview process that they had there. And then you also have all this stuff that goes down at the combine, but there you have all of these different people. At the senior bowl, there's not as many people and they're only seniors. And you can really, if you're if you're a kid who has his head on his shoulders, a very bright young kid who's graduated from college, you can kind of really show that. And I think a team like the Giants fall in love with that. I think yeah. Cam Brown is a player like that. I think TJ Brunson are players that Dave Gettleman and this this specific front office kind of fell in love with this draft process, and that's why they selected them down there. They were both down in Mobile, and Dave Gettleman came out and said he really liked what he saw from TJ Brunson, who was a team captain at South Carolina. Same with Cam Brown. So I think for those late-round picks— I like the Senior Bowl, but when you're talking about top 10 talent, it's a little bit different. I mean, the Senior Bowl doesn't really get all that many top 10 talent guys going there. A lot of those guys will opt out. Like Montez Sweat went there, and that was like a huge deal. And Montez Sweat didn't even end up being the top pick from the Senior Bowl that year because Daniel Jones (laughs) ended up being a top six pick. Right. Yeah. And exactly. And you're right. I mean, ultimately, it's it's a it's a it's definitely a breeding uh, a breeding ground for somebody like Gettleman who loves to fall in love with personalities and for the kids off the field. And I'm not saying that's the worst idea. I know that's one of the reasons they like Ingram long term because they think he's got a really good kid with his head on his shoulders who puts in the work and they really put a lot of value in guys who work hard and buy into the culture and buy into the team regardless of the record and you know continue to fight through. And that's something that ultimately is a good thing. But I think ultimately it might be something they want to at least look back on in their process because, you know, I know that's where they fell in love with Hernandez, Jones, Ballantyne, a lot of guys that obviously ultimately some of which haven't ultimately panned out the way they wanted to. But let's talk a little bit of defense now because I want to get to that. And then I also want to get to a little bit of a preview of the NFC East race. So there's still a lot to talk about and we're still running and we're running pretty high on time. And I know some people want to, you know, get to their daily, they want to get this in for, uh, in their commute to work. So let's talk a little defense. Um, I'll start off by saying this. I thought it was really good that after the Giants allowed that touchdown to the Eagles, they then stopped them on downs twice in this game. Again, no turnovers, but two stops on downs to end that game is fantastic stuff. We've talked about the 0 for 9 on third down. I'll point out people that stood out to me, Leonard Williams, to get five quarterback hits. This guy is just proving himself to be, at this point, he's rounding into almost a must re-sign at any price. I really do feel that way at this point, especially since I'm not a huge believer in the cat in the cap being any kind of real issue for this franchise now or moving forward, at least until they have to re-sign Daniel Jones, if they even want to re-sign Daniel Jones. So I'm starting to really go on that board. That stood out to me. Jabril Peppers, man, another great game from him. James Bradbury just always making plays and coverage. 
why the Eagles tried to throw to him on that key down, why they targeted him on that pass, I will never understand. On the first, I think, turnover on downs it yeah, was. Yeah, it was a fourth and ten. Fourth and ten, and you're targeting James Bradbury. The, his awareness as a as D-back is like, maybe he might have the best awareness I've ever seen from a corner. Because he's not the most physically gifted corner, if you think about it. And I, okay, that's massive hyperbole. Fine, I take that back. The, maybe the best awareness I've ever seen from a Giants corner, though. I really do believe that. Maybe Jason Seorn comes to mind, but... Bradbury is certainly up there as far as awareness goes. He also had a play earlier game where he came in and broke off a pick play and made the made the pass deflection. But then on this one, he gets his head around. He never gets caught with those bad pass interference plays and then gets the, the, the hand in there to make that incompletion. Man, I just was super excited with some of these guys on defense. James Bradbury, I mean, he's a top five corner in the league, and it's something that we haven't had in quite a while. And he's proving it kind of game in and game out. Yep. And those are two huge pass breakups one was on a third down third and short scraped over the top saw everything break down and then closed with like that now that shows a lot of athletic ability in, in that but just to, the mental awareness to to kind of see that pick play coming and just scrape over the top and come down really hard on Jalen Rager and yeah Carson Wentz I don't know if he saw the two guys blitzing the two linebackers blitzing through the, I think it was the a gaps it might have been one of them might have been the b gap and he just said, okay, I have a one-on-one over there, and I have a bunch of guys covering on that side, so let me just try the one-on-one. But you throw to Jalen Rager on James Bradbury, Bradbury's going to win that. It seems like nine out of ten times, especially in those kind of situations on a fourth and yep. ten. It was a really good play call, though, by Patrick Graham. And Blake Martinez, again, dude, just rallying to the football. I mean, we always applaud him. It's, just, it's like the same guys we keep applauding podcast in and podcast out, mm-hmm. but they really, really deserve it. And like we always say, man, this defense is just it's – a, it's a very, very good defense for a three and seven team. Yeah. And I don't want to cut off too short on the defense. Is anyone else you wanted to touch on? Or I guess I think a lot of what we can do with the defensive side of the ball will be on the All-22. It will be. So I want to now take this time during our recap to dive into a little bit of the NFC East race because the Giants have now worked their way back into the NFC East race. And here's how it's going to break down, folks, because the Giants are well in this, but they have positioned themselves in a, t- in a bit of a tough spot to win this only because that one tie the Eagles had versus the Bengals is actually going to come back to help them. So here's how it goes. Right now, as it currently stands, the Eagles are in first place in the NFC East at 3, 5, and 1. The Giants are second place at 3 and 7, but technically not in second place. Well, yeah, sorry. They're in second place at 3 and 7. The, the Washington football team and Dallas Cowboys are then tied at 2 and 7. Remember, the Giants haven't had their bye week. They have their bye week coming up. So here's how it breaks down. The NFC East as a whole right now is 2-18-1. You heard that right. 2-18-1 outside of the division, which is one of the most incredible stats I've ever seen, just to show the ineptitude of this division up until this point. But to be fair, the Giants have competed with the Bucs, a game they should have won. They've competed with the Steelers, and they've competed with the Rams. And the Bears. And the Bears, but the Bears aren't that good of a team. But they've competed with three of the better teams in the NFL. So they haven't been as inept as some of these other teams against those teams in my mind. But again, 218-1, whatever. Here's how it would play out. The key is this. If if the Giants can win that Week 17 game against Dallas. So basically, the Giants, in my mind, if they want to win this NFC East race, a must-win game will be that final division game against Dallas for tiebreaker purposes, for knocking Dallas back out, who I think once Dalton comes back in, we'll have a chance. I know Dalton did not look good early on, but I think we'll kind of settle in at some point. But overall, I still think they have a lot of other issues outside of Dalton, but they have to win that game because then they'll also win the tiebreaker over Dallas if they win that game. Now, if they tie with the Washington football team at the end of the season, the Giants win that tiebreaker because they beat the Washington football team twice. As for Philly, the Giants and Philly would have to play a tie game for... So either the Giants or Philadelphia would have to have a tie at some point from now until the end of the season for a tiebreaker to come into play for the Eagles. And so this the point of this, why I'm saying this is because that's a very unlikely to happen. I don't think the Giants or Eagles will have a tie the rest of the season. So ultimately, with the Eagles at 3, 5, and 1, the Giants are going to have to have one more win than the Eagles to get this division. Because if the Eagles have the same amount of wins, they win it with the tiebreaker. So here's how it goes. Let's take a look at the rest of the season to kind of see how it is. The Giants' remaining schedule. They start with the bye this week. Okay. Then they travel to play the Bengals. I think that's a winnable game. Then they travel to play Seattle. That's going to be tough. Then Arizona. But I talked about this with Nick. I actually feel like the Giants have a better chance to beat Seattle in Seattle than Arizona at home. With the COVID season, home, I'm kind of knocking off being of any importance, really. It's some importance. Is that a 1 o'clock game, though? That would be tough. It probably is the 1 o'clock game for the East Coast. But with the, how bad Seattle's pass defense is, 
I really think the Giants have a better chance than against an Arizona team that really manhandled them last season. The Giants were not in that game against Arizona. They ran blocked the, the hell out of the Giants. It's a new defensive system for the Giants, but I don't know. I feel a little worried playing Kyler Murray in that offense. And ultimately, I didn't think the Giants did a really good job moving the ball against that Arizona defensive system last year. Yeah, they sacked Daniel Jones so many times. And they got times. a ton of pressure on Jones. Yeah. Again, Chandler Jones is there. He's not there now. But I still feel like they have a better chance. Then they have Cleveland at home in MetLife. I feel like that's a very winnable game. But Cleveland's not a pushover at all with Chubb back. Then at Baltimore, that's going to be a tough one. And then Dallas. So I think if the Giants can find a— well, they have. I think they have to win all of Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Dallas to get to six wins. And then if they just win one of Seattle, Arizona, and Baltimore, let's say, so they get to seven and nine. I think that's the key number here. They got to get to seven and nine. Here's how they do it: Eagles, their remaining schedule. They're at three and they're at three wins right now. They have at Cleveland, Seattle, at Green Bay. That's a nice one for the Giants. That's a tough one. It's not easy. New Orleans at home, another tough one. Arizona, Dallas, Washington. So even if the Eagles win. Three, I think that I think we can hope that the Eagles win only three of those last games. I think that's very doable. Dallas, Washington, and then one of Cleveland, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona. Remember, this is not a good Eagles team. They should have lost to the Giants the first time. Almost lost to the Cowboys. They almost lost to the Cowboys. With Danucci starting. With Danucci starting. They're healthier, but they're still not good. I think it's doable. And, I, I, and we can get into Washington, who plays Cincinnati, Dallas Thanksgiving, Pittsburgh, San Fran, Seattle, Carolina, Philly. Dallas has Minnesota. Dallas might actually have the easier schedule of all these teams, but it's not a cakewalk. It's at Minnesota, who's playing better football than they were earlier in the year. Washington, who they should beat, but they got killed by, but that was with Danucci. At Baltimore, at Cincinnati, San Fran, Philly, and then the Giants. So I feel like if the Giants can get to seven wins, they can take this division. If the Giants can get to seven wins, I think that's... I think that would be a solid uh, course to get there, but we're playing from behind right now. Sure. Philadelphia holds the cards because of that freaking tie. And because of the win with Evan Ingram's drop. Yeah. And, I mean, if we really that start... flips if, a lot of if, it. Yeah, but if we start going through all that, then we could also point to the Cowboys game, and there were a couple Tampa other... Bay. Really, Tampa Bay. The Rams was a close game. But Tampa, the, the only ones they game. really should have won were Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Philly. Yeah, that's three games too. Like, three like games. literally, even if they only, I don't like, I don't like playing what ifs and what ifs and all that kind of stuff. But that's three games in the NFC East. The Giants are sitting so pretty right here. Oh yeah, if they had even just won two of those games, they'd be sitting so pretty at five and five. Especially one, especially, of, especially if, if they were both, if they the, were division both the division games. games at oh. five and five. This would thing would have been very close, not wrapped up, but in close. Because Dallas would have then been one and eight. Philly would have then been three or sorry two six and one. I know, and Giants man. would have been five and five with division tiebreakers over the Eagles already with a 2-0 and and then one game versus Dallas so those two losses were hurtful but we'll carry on anyway that's it for tonight's podcast recap before we sign off I do want to give a shout out to some of you who took the bait and did us a favor and left us some reviews on iTunes and no we're not talking to you again Kwame Zill you got your one shout out be happy you got that leave us five stars and maybe we'll review it and Shout you out again, but Deck105 says way too much fantasy football talk. Haha, ha, yeah, right. Great podcast. You guys aren't afraid to give their takes and help expand our knowledge about the game, so thank you. Sims to Bavaro TD says too much complaining. Eggs are not dairy. I'm pretty sure this is a joke because you gave the five star review, and I think it's pretty funny. I actually also confused eggs as dairy. I do, I thought they were dairy, but regardless, even if they're dairy or not, Blake Martinez did find out that he was allergic to eggs. So taking that out of diet has to help. So thanks again for all of you who did take the time to give us a rating, review, five stars on iTunes. Please do us a favor. Our boy Sean on on Instagram is absolutely killing it right now. We're over 500 followers on Instagram, Big Blue Banter. It's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. Help us get to 1,000 followers there. Give us a shout-out there. And then it's a bye week coming up, so we're going to do some interesting things. We're going to do a full podcast of Q&As. We'll ask you for your questions. We already have a bunch written down. We might even do another live Q&A show. Some of you joined us for that. We're going to see if we can cram that in during the buy. A Q&A show, just uh, off, off, you know, not live, and then a live one as well. We'll probably do some, we'll obviously do some film work as well. Maybe a state of the team. Who knows? But thanks again to everyone tuning in, making the podcast what it is today. We love you guys, and thanks again, and keep listening, and keep following along on the journey. The Giants are starting to improve a little bit, playing better football now. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.